For years, I've encouraged paramedics to get degrees. But when I carefully listened to the stories of paramedics, I realized there are challenges that have to be addressed. Things like 2448s, childcare, mortgages. I'm pleased to share that I have an answer that matches what I know about the working paramedic who tells me they are ready to pursue a degree. Eastern Kentucky University offers a bachelor's in emergency medical care that is 100% online and allows college credit for existing state or national registry certifications. EKU is a nationally known program, and I trust them to take good care of Medic Mindset listeners who want to start their journey toward a degree. You can go to the show notes for this episode for a link, or simply use go.eku.edu backslash medic to get started. I'm wondering if that same level of I work better under chaos or when I'm fixing something also happens in our personal life. I don't like chaos. I'm a pretty chill person, but that's not the norm of the type A personality always creating chaos or feeling like they're better when there's always a manifest of chaos. So I could see how that would be challenging in relationships as well. I think it's also difficult for me to actually picture the severity of the trauma of what you guys see. I can intellectually be like, oh, gosh, what if I drove over this hill and there was a car crash? Try to picture what that would be like. So trying to figure out how to be a supportive spouse when I don't have anything really to even equate it to. I don't have anything nearly that traumatic in my life. Also, a little bit ironic because I was on peer support for a long time and I helped start the team. I was one of the original members for our department. That's one of the things that we talk about. You know, don't have that conversation the second they get home from work. Give them some time to decompress and transition. I'd given other people that advice and heard it for years, but didn't internalize it. And so it was, it was a big difference. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. This is the first ever recorded Medic Mindset double date. My date is Cassie. She's been a paramedic in Central Texas for over 16 years, and our guests are Chris and Sarah Call. Chris Call is a flight paramedic in Montana. Alongside being a paramedic, Chris has an entrepreneurial spirit from starting paramedic.com to co-founding EMS One, and then joining Pulsera as employee number three to build that company. Sarah Call is many things in her own right, but for this episode, she speaks from the perspective of a flight paramedic spouse. Not all things are perfect, but these three perfectly and honestly share the challenges, wins, and lessons learned in having a partner who is in EMS. Listen in. This is Medic Mindset's first double date. Wait, are we starting just right now like this? Oh, I like how this rolls. It's like, oh, and... Scene. <laughs> so, yes, Chris, Sarah, Ginger, Cassie. It's an episode I've wanted to do for a long time, and that is to talk to people who love paramedics, either spouses, partners, significant others, and what that experience is like for them. Because I hear a lot from spouses or partners who listened to the show just to get a glimpse of what is the world of EMS like. I thought this was a fortunate time. I had you two coming to present together, had you both in one place. And I have Cassie with me, my significant other. It's a really unique situation for me because I'm on the other side of it now. So Cassie is a paramedic. You know, for the longest, I was the paramedic going off to shift. Now I'm at the one at home. So I've seen it from both perspectives. Let me ask, was... Chris, in the field when you met, was he doing flights and things like that? He was, yes. Yeah, he was a flight paramedic when we met for quite a few years. Yeah, what's interesting is that we, uh, I met Sarah, and I was joking when she's like, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm basically an angel from the sky, right? <laughs> like, hand me your hand. And she's like, oh, okay. So then what else do you do? Like, she was not impressed about anything. She, it was never about like, oh, firefighters are great, you know, paramedics, helicopters. She was like, it just like was right over. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. I actually have somebody who's not interested in the field or what I do, but is more interested like, yeah, but what do you do outside of work? What were your passions? So then she comes back when we were dating. It was probably a couple weeks later and she's all my friends think you're really cool. And I got to like ask you some questions because now I feel bad because I didn't care prior. I had been in the field for quite a while. Yep. But it wasn't a big part of his identity that you really kind of... I 
It might have been a big part of his identity, but it wasn't something that was like super attractive to me. You know, it wasn't unattractive. It was just kind of neutral. It was just what he did. Mm-hmm. And I'm generally more interested in getting to know somebody's heart, you know, and not yeah. like, I, I feel like we always talk about what we do for work when we're talking, meeting people and getting to know them. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's more than that. It's, I wanted to get to know who he was as a person, not just what he did for his job. But I did have some friends that worked at the hospital in the town I lived in. And when they heard I was dating a flight paramedic, one of the people who used to come to that hospital, they were on and on and on about how Rightfully rightfully so. (laughs) They're never as excited as they are when that helicopter lands, because it's always something traumatic going on. And so the helicopter sound means relief to them. And so they were kind of sharing some of that with me. And then I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should pay more attention to what he does. (laughs) Yeah, so. I kind of think it's great that you didn't. Yeah, well, thank you. (laughs) Well, let's be honest. Like Sarah has rules. She's a rule follower and a perfectionist. And so she made these rules. She came from a father who was a, a um, pastor for 35 years. And she's like, I'm not marrying anybody who's in ministry. And then, or firefighters that, like, in her mind, she had to reconcile with that, that she just wasn't going to do any, anything in public safety for whatever reason. Uh, it was mostly firefighters, and it had to do with seeing the movie Backdraft. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not marrying somebody who might not come home. Which is probably true of flight paramedics as well. And the minister thing was just, I never saw my dad. He was always busy. (laughs) So I was like, well, that can't be good either. (laughs) So that was the reason why. Have you guys ever had a deliberate conversation where you sat down and decided, will Chris keep flying or not? So for example, Cassie and I have not had that conversation because I know she's going to keep working till she retires. We've never had that deliberate conversation. Have you guys, particularly because Chris is, that's not his only gig, right? He's got other things going on. So it probably is feasibly an option for him not to do it. Have y'all ever had that conversation? Uh, Well, when we first met, we had not because it's just what he was doing. So it was kind of a, hey, if you're going to date this guy, this is what he does. But then when he stopped doing it, we had kind of talked about would he ever want to go back to doing it so we sort of talked about it then we you know we got a taste of both like I didn't mind when he was doing shift work but then it was also nice to have him home all the time and give us more freedom to travel and stuff so there's more discussion as we think about hey he misses it you know he misses the family and the camaraderie and the actual practicing medical care what does it look like if you wanted to go back? And how would that change the new normal that we've adjusted to when him not working? So some, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think you're tiptoeing around the lifestyle change, because I am considering, you know, should I, I do miss the camaraderie, the family, I do miss the helicopter, and flying over Southwest Montana, and the clinical medicine, you know, every call is challenging. And it pushes that limit. And yet, it was right before COVID that I quit flying, completely separate events. And then because of COVID, we also quit traveling just for work. And it was the longest I had been in my own bed since I was 18. You know, And so that idea of friends, family, they're like, what are you doing next Thursday? And, and instinctively, I'd pull up my phone and look at it to start counting out the days. I'm like, wait, nothing? What are you guys doing? And that was super awesome. So we're reconciling that in that, we can work remote anywhere, and the ability to travel is important to us. It's the lifestyle part of it um, more than more than anything, I think. That makes sense, like the schedule, just the logistics, more than the fear of something happening to him. Yeah, definitely. It's mostly about, <laughs> selfishly, what do I have to give up if he goes back to shift work? I don't mind traveling alone, so like I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I prefer to travel with Chris, but it's okay to go alone. And so for the most part, I don't feel like my life changes too much if he goes back to shift work, but you may feel differently. Well, you brought up another question is the safety thing. And she didn't know any of that stuff right? She didn't follow from 2007 and 2009, all this increase of air medical crashes and bad weather. In fact, when like the first or second time we were dating and I was on shift and we were just texting, I'm like, oh, we're going to go to NS. We had a call 60 miles or so, 60 minutes or so flight, but we're weathered out. And she's like, 
wait, there's somebody here dying and you don't care about them? You know, that was her thing. But however, now she's like, ah, oh, there's like one little cloud in the sky. <laughs> and she's like, I don't think you should go. So sometimes when you know more, uh, that's so she does have that uh, fear now. And I know that you had asked the question of like, when I'm working around a flight, can she track me from any any one of the many apps that track your location? And Sarah's looking through. She's like, I'm like, oh, maybe I should be. Should I be doing that? I should be tracking you. Maybe <laughs> it had never actually occurred to me. So it had never occurred to me either. But it's something Cassie has done for her mom because her mom. You first shared your location with your mom, right? Well, I did, but my mom... So I grew up in eastern Nevada. Like, the closest grocery store is an hour and a half away. I mean, very rural. Cell phones only started working about probably seven years ago there. Um, And she still has not gotten very technologically comfortable. And so it was something that I would do for her because I was like, well, she doesn't pay super close attention to what my schedule is because it rotates all the time. So, you know, if she can, like, look and see where I am, then maybe that might be, you know, something which she actually has never really done. But when we first started talking, um, it was, you know, COVID was going strong and there were just so many unknowns and things that we couldn't control. And so that was something that I remember reaching out to you because there were a couple of times where you had reached out to me and I hadn't been able to get back to you, which you know how that works because you've done EMS, but still there was just so many unknowns. And so I was like, well, what if I shared my location with you so that that way you can look and see where I am. And if I'm not getting back to you, like, even though with the non-emotional side of your brain, you can be, you know, telling yourself one story, but then the emotional side is totally telling a different one. And so that was something that I thought that I could do just to try to, to make it a little bit easier in that sense to be like, oh, well, you know, this is where she is. So she's at a hospital. So I might be able to text her and catch her now versus, you know, where it's, you know, the middle of nowhere. And so it's like, oh, it could be I've, I've loved it because actually what it's done is it's kept me from interrupting you. So before I want to send a text to just share like something really mundane, I'll look to see where you are. Mm-hmm. So if you're at someone's house, I don't want your, you know, Apple watch or whatever to be pinging. So I'll just wait mm-hmm. based on that. And I always have everything on silent or, you know, vibrate anyway, so it never is a thing on a call. But I do remember one time, I think either you FaceTimed me or your kiddo did. And I, I had a whole, as soon as I could, I was like, I need to step out for a second because normally there's, you know, a check-in beforehand. And so I was like, something has to be wrong. So, you know, it's kind of funny how you start to rely on certain things as mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then it just like flipped it. Yeah. Certain patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Well, it's interesting. When we were first started dating, you didn't tell me if you got there, okay, because she lived in this real community that's like 60 miles. But I'm, I was safety first my whole life. I, hey, I'm heading out here. I'm leaving here. And she's very independent. She's like, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, no, this is love. I'm like telling you that I haven't died. And she's like, <laughs> oh. And she's like putting that in her like spreadsheet of things to respond appropriately to. And, and uh, oh, great. And then now uh, that's just kind of our like, hey, we're heading out on a flight, we're going to Billings. And I'm like, we landed. You know, I was doing those kind of things. And I'm just thinking in my mind, oh, if I do go back to flight, that's valuable. Do you think it would know where you are in the air? Like, Do you think the app is able to locate you? That's a good question. We'll have to have a part two of this yeah. double date. <laughs> So before you said that you are okay traveling by yourself and whatnot, and kind of what I've gleaned about you is like you're really independent, like you have your very much your own interests and all of these things. Right. Me too. And so I I secretly kind of love it when Cassie goes to work because it's like, ah, like I don't have to ask her what we're going to watch on TV. I can just like dig into this project and like have all these hours uninterrupted. Is that your experience as well? It is. Yes. I, um, well, I'm an introvert on top of being independent. So quiet time and time to myself is important to me. It's actually more than important. It's pretty essential to my just general well-being and I'm more fun to be around (laughs) if I get it. And then so when I met Chris and he had two children, which was also new to me, I didn't have any children. It was like, you know, a whole different life for me. It was back to communal living. It was learning to be a step parent. And so when the kids would be with their mother and Chris would be on shift would be a pretty essential 
24-hour window for me to kind of regroup, recharge, get my energy back to kind of do the whole family thing again until I sort of adjusted to that new normal. And I still, you know, the kids are now grown and don't live at home, but I still value that quiet time. So yeah, when he stopped doing shift work, then it was kind of like, wait, you're here all the time. Hi, I know you can't see this, but but I'm like, hey, how are you? I'm just sitting as close. I'm like an amoeba. I'm sitting as close as I can to you. Hi, wait, you want to go? go to bed to read oh all right i thought we were gonna still watch tv but we'll go to bed to read together and you're like no no i wasn't saying we i was saying i'm just gonna go to have some quiet downtime yeah that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly how it was it's all an adjustment and then the other thing that was really surprising is when he went from shift work to not shift work he used to when he was home fall asleep at like 8 p.m after a shift and so like even if it was family life i could count on having like 8 p.m to like 11 p.m where he's asleep the kids are doing their own thing or in their own rooms and I, i'm awake but quiet and then when he stopped doing shift work it's like i don't know if i've stayed up past you more than a handful <laughs> of times since then hey what are you doing yeah hey so. i'm still awake i'm full i'm i'm operating from a tank of full sleep hi <laughs> yes, yes so yes that was an adjustment <laughs> so we started dating at the beginning of the pandemic not on purpose it just happened that way that brought up a lot because we actually in austin the city locked down in a way that we weren't even supposed to go to each other's house like you were only supposed to be going to like the grocery store or work it's hard to remember this, but nobody knew what was going on. We didn't know how scary, deadly, lethal this virus was. Cassie was very worried about getting it and bringing it home to, to me. And so we spent a month not seeing each other yeah, at the beginning of that. Yeah. Can I ask you a question then? Please, yeah. Did you have survivor's guilt when you're like, I could be a paramedic, but I actually get to hang out at home while my friends, families, loved ones are out there and they don't know anything more than I know and yet they put on one boot at a time and go out there. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? So I had a little bit of an opportunity to keep teaching. So in July, we went back to the hospitals and I was one of the few faculty that was like, I'll go, right? Wear the PPE and all that. So it felt a little good in that way. Like I'm going to keep making paramedics. Like we can't stop this engine that makes paramedics. But I've not really with the whole community, but more with Cassie because she loves her job, like loves it, but she stopped liking it during that time. So the, it was the heat of the summer in Austin, wearing all of this PPE. You couldn't communicate well with your patients. Cassie's like her uh, bedside manner is like probably the best part of your patient care. And she couldn't do that face-to-face, yeah. hugs, all that stuff. So watching her struggle and come home just so tired, Mm -hmm. dehydrated, not wanting to go to work. Like you were anxious sometimes to go to work. Yeah, I I cried more during the pandemic than I ever have in my entire career. Anytime before I would go to shift, Ginger would call me and we would FaceTime for a little bit and I would almost always cry and say how much I hated it and didn't want to be there because the things that really gave me that joy and that ability to work through the hard things just weren't there. It was so physically uncomfortable. Like I was very lucky to have access to PPE the whole time. But, you know, wearing that in Texas through the summer, I mean, I was melting. Like my uniforms would be completely soaked through and, you know, I would be having headaches and just, it was just so uncomfortable. And then I was just so terrified that, you know, I was going to get sick. Like I said, that I could share it, that all those things. And so there was that flip side of, you know, when we didn't see each other for that month, in a way, I was thankful, but also I was living by myself. So I literally, I, ne- I didn't touch another human mm-hmm. without gloves on and that fear of getting sick for a month until one day she just showed up on my doorstep. I was like, we fuck like, it. We are like, yeah, because I, I called her, you know, so upset again. And we were like, okay, this is it. Like, we're done doing this this way. Like, it doesn't work. But it, w- it was, that time was so hard. Yeah. I just envisioned like Ginger in her, maybe a scooter. <laughs> But you're like going and then there's like a big line of COVID police behind you. <laughs> Pull over. And you're like, no, she needs me. I just have this like vision in my mind of this. It, it was a little bit like that. <laughs> to, to your original question, you said, do I have survivor's guilt or did I have, feel guilty during that time? I don't think I did for the whole profession because I felt like I eventually like I got back to doing my job as an educator. But definitely 
for her mm. just knowing that oh, she's having to go be like where the rubber meets the road yeah it was early on so it was probably that march april may june somewhere in there and i just remember i'm a, an emotional person but just like break down and cry for no reason isn't that's not me i mean it has to be something big like a hallmark commercial <laughs> or something for me to be sensitive and uh, i just remember like i don't know why because i had stopped flying i'm like but I was doing that, why me? Like, it's not fair for them, and I'm so scared for them. And I felt so sad for my family, my EMS family, and I just was, like, just, like, bawling in my office by myself. And uh, I've never experienced that prior or since then, but it was just like this. I'm like, oh, this is – so I had that element. It's the first time or only time that I've ever had survivor's guilt that I think of, that I know of. That's what I was asking. At this conference, at the beginning, they played a little COVID video. It was like a, kind of a tribute to the couple of years that they've all been through. It was hard to watch. Yeah. I was like, ugh, I kind of put it behind me and I don't want to think back to that time. So one of the things we figured out very quickly was that we needed to be careful about starting conversations that we couldn't finish while she was on shift. Our conversations while she's on shift are usually pretty light. We'll kind of recap our day, but we won't tackle any big, like, we need to make a decision on this, or certainly not like any uh, emotional stuff. Are you purposeful to only bring up certain topics while he's on shift? Yeah, you know, I saw that question on your list, and similar to the using my, find my iPhone, I'm like, oh, well, that's a good tip. I probably shouldn't do that. I actually couldn't recall whether or not I had or hadn't ever had a hard conversation. We don't necessarily talk a lot when he's on shift. You know, maybe he'll call if he's going to bed or something. But for the most part, it's all texting and try to kind of avoid those types of conversations on text anyway. Mm -hmm. If it was going to be emotionally charged or there was room for misinterpretation or something. So I don't know. Do you remember a time that we... Well, what ends up happening, even if I'm at the base, we're just texting. And so my text is, yep, uh-huh. And hers is this chapter one of a four-chapter <laughs> book. And then I start texting. And then somewhere in there, it's this like long prose. And we're getting this in-depth conversation, maybe even during the downtime in between a shift when we put the helicopter back together before flying, like this huge thing. And not necessarily arguments to say or fighting, but these conversations like, in hindsight, that was a lot of typed letters that could have just happened in a conversation later, for sure. You mean later, like after you're not? Probably shift. after shift, yeah. Um, I don't actually, possibly, I can't say that we haven't, but I don't, I don't actually remember very many like intense conversations where we were arguing or something and, and we're like, we'll just talk about this later, click or anything like that. I think, you know, when we first started dating, we didn't live in the same city either. We lived about an hour away. So we got used to having to communicate via text or in little snippets throughout our day, as opposed to really having concentrated time to sit down and talk about things. So we probably did communicate that way more than we should have once we lived in the same city. But I think it was just a habit. You know, we'd been used to long, longer distance, which is both good and bad. I guess it makes it easy for him to go to shift because they've got that to fall back on. But it's also creates bad habits as far as waiting to have a conversation is probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Learning a lot from you guys <laughs> about how to be a better spouse <laughs> to a paramedic. Well, I had a little insider track because I've been on shift yes, before. Yes, you're lucky. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're good about saying what you need, too. We FaceTime is how we communicate most of the time. Text or FaceTime, never a phone call. I don't have like the in-between thing. We will be FaceTiming and I'll see the lights come on in the station, like these red lights that come on before the tones start. I'm like, oh, she's got to go. Yeah. But we usually keep the, I think, the conversation in kind of a boundary. So it's never like, because I don't want that jolt of like, oh, like you have to go. Yeah. Sometimes the one where it's hardest is if I've had a difficult call. It could be from a clinical standpoint or emotional or, you know, whatever part of it. That's one of the things that we'll oftentimes kind of talk about is because I know she has that understanding of it in a different way than so many other people. You know, sometimes I'll be like wanting to tell her something either really funny or intense or whatever. And then like we'll get a thing and I'm like, oh, you know, so I don't get a chance to like kind of finish that up. And so, you know, then it's like, okay, so, you know, where do we leave off? But yeah, and we can both, I think, I'm, I'm sure our faces are probably very similar when like the tones and we're like, 
his little frowny face. We're like, okay. And then I always let you go really fast. I'm always like, bye. Yeah. Because it's not, I'm not going to drag it on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love to talk on the phone or FaceTime. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's this meme I saw once. It's like, there are 32 ways to communicate with me through my phone that are not a phone call. (laughs) Pick (laughs) pick one of them, which is generally my, so we don't often spend a lot of time talking on the phone just Mm -hmm. because I think Chris knows it's not my, I don't have the best hearing and it's just very hard for me to hear sometimes on a phone call. Mm -hmm. I think that probably heads off a lot of the conversations. Right. Because text by their nature can stop and start. Right. So there's this other meme I saw that said, why are you calling me? I don't use my phone for that. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So true, There's a question you had just said about, well, are you going to be okay, you know, 24 hours away from each other? And we, we talked about being the introvert or filling up your tank by the quiet time. And yet when we met, kiddos were sixth grade, eighth grade. I think you spoke on when they were at their mom's home. That was your time that... Nobody was at the house and could fill the tank. But she also bought into this immediately being a bonus mom in this blended family where she chose not to have kids for a reason to travel and to do things and have that ability to go. And now there were just times in our schedule where I'm gone and you have this sixth grader and eighth grader, the eighth grade girl, the sixth grade boy. And you're tied to home. Plus, she's really good at cooking <laughs> cereal. <laughs> but she doesn't think about food from that. She eats to survive. She's not a foodie. She doesn't cook. And now she has to be, you know, all that stuff of halfway through the afternoon, like what we're going to cook for the kids and then come home from school and they're going to want this. And they weren't old enough to drive. So now I'm changing my schedule and my work career to make sure they're picked up or at school or going to these different areas and... That was, there's an adjustment of the blended bonus family. And there's an adjustment that all of a sudden you're that, I don't know, mentor. You're the oldest in the room. <laughs> you don't say, you know, you're very sensitive to say, I want to be a mentor and not the mom. They have a mom, right? And they have a dad and I don't, but you are having this role almost of this babysitter at that age. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, the, those weeks were harder. Yeah, the weeks the kids were with us, but not because of the kids. They're actually, and they were older. I think if they'd been any younger, um, I sympathize with anybody who is a spouse of somebody who's on shift that has young children, because I do imagine I probably would not, as much as I love Chris, I probably would not have stayed in this relationship if they'd been like, they need my 24-hour care. I'm just not wired for it. It's why I didn't have children. I know that about myself. So I like them from about sixth grade up. So it worked out okay. (laughs) So maybe fourth grade, but uh, younger kids would have been a much bigger challenge for me. But it still was an adjustment. There's no question. I think that would resonate with listeners that are partners to people that go away for 24 hours because they're home with the kids. Yeah, it's a lot of, I would think it'd be a lot of work, even just trying to move my schedule around to drop off and pick up at school. Like that was a whole new thing for me. Yeah, I think um, you're picking up these cues that we have both been divorced and then remarried. Um, My ex-wife, we're friends. We're good friends. She's a great mom. She's a great human. And when I started in this career, you know, I woke up you know, I was like five years old when I wanted to be in this career. I just didn't realize it yet until I was in college. I'm like, wait, I can actually do this thing that I want to do as my job. And I really feel like I haven't worked a day in my life because of that. And it's been great. However, when you're 23, 22, 21, and we got got married at 23, my love languages, if you ever study these love languages, like how you show love and then how you want to receive love. I show love by acts of service doing stuff. I'm like, I'm a huge cleaner, like scrub the house, do the bills, do all these things, do all these things for you. And I get my tank, my love tank gets filled up by words of affirmation. And then Mitzi, ex-wife, she showed love by quality time. And she wanted to receive love by quality time. When you're hanging out with her at that moment, 
to this day, even when we text her about the kids, if she's hanging out with somebody, that phone is so far away. She never responds. You know, she's in the moment. I wasn't. I was a list person. I was trying to build a career. I was trying to build our white picket fence in our family. This entire time I'm doing these access service and working so hard. She just wanted to spend time. And then on top of that, these 24 hours being alone, uh, being vulnerable, really vulnerable here. There was one time where she's like, I went over to our friend's house. I don't know how to get your attention unless I just light myself on fire. You know, we're early 20s and it was a cry for help. And I was like, why would she light herself on fire? It seems like it would hurt. You know, like I just wasn't like processing that it was a cry for help. And when young relationships and those are in public safety, you know, you're looking at the lens of, but yeah, this is a passion. I love it. This is what I want to do. When I'm gone for 24 hours, I'm in my element, enjoying everything. Cassie was talking about this. Like, I love it. But now looking back through the lens of my ex-wife, those are very lonely times for her. She's a very extroverted person. And those are very lonely times in a new city by herself without friends waiting for me to come back home. And we were disconnecting on that after a lot of skin knees and bruised shins of falling down and getting picked up in life, I was much more intentional with Sarah. Sarah was much more intentional with me. And so we were making sure to like bridge those gaps intentionally as we were growing in our relationship of expectations and what we should do. So it's a tough career for people. And I can only imagine, well, now that I'm looking back, I'm like, it's a really tough career when you're in your early 20s. You're trying to figure out your own identity. You're trying to figure out this career, you're trying to build this family. And then when one of the two of you are at home with kiddos, I would come home and we have, you said they were in sixth and eighth grade, but they're only 14 months apart. So like two kids, almost a year apart. And after 24 hours with them, she'd hand them to me. And yet at the same time, I'd been up for 24 hours and then digging deep with the kiddos. That's so tough. And it's a tough thing that, you know, I can only speak to my side of why the relationship ultimately didn't work, but I do to my core know that we, even though we were married for almost two decades, there was this core at the beginning that we never fused our relationship and saw the other person's, through the other person's perspective, their lens um, to build that. And at public safety with young kids doing this they're not equipped with that. And I don't know if we're mentoring or giving them the tools to work through these relationship things. Or to have the self-awareness to know what their love language is. Yeah, how would you know? Right. Right. Because it's almost like, I don't want to call it deal breaker, but if your person is wanting the quality time and you physically don't have the time, that's, you know, two people can be like crazy in love, but how do you deal with this like objective thing that's not aligned? My love language is also quality time, but I think that's the, the difference between Mitzi and I is extrovert and introvert. So I like quality time with Chris, for sure, but I also like quality time with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was wired completely the opposite. Right. <clears throat> and so while she had the company of the children, you know, that's not the same as having company of an adult or, or a spouse. And the kids were so young, I think it was hard for her to, like, spend time with friends or whatever to kind of make those 24 hours less lonely. For me, it's a gift to have time to myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, me too. it works out okay for me, even though quality time is my love language. But not quantity time, quality yeah, you know, time, I right? Was, and so, I was thinking that too. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm just better at it, and Sarah's better. Her least, is it? I would say so. Your least way to show love through these different love languages is words of affirmation right? <laughs> and that's the one that fills me up. She's like, you were great today. I'm like, what? I was? Say more. Like, Keep going. And she's like, why? If, you know, and she was raised in a very stoic family who's like, well, we don't share. I mean, of course you're a great person. You do these things. That's why we only share the things that you can improve on. We already are operating at a point of you being awesome. And I'm like, so you're saying I'm awesome. <laughs> and, and same with quality. If I to put the phone away, I'm in the tech world, so I'm connected to everything, to put the phone away and just in the midst of a big thing, we're busy and we do all these things to like spend 10 minutes with coffee with Sarah. That's not my, where I would resonate. I wake up every day thinking of all this list of things I have to do and I'm ready to go. And I'm like, okay, quality time, Sarah. Like, and focusing on that. And then you've been intentional on focusing that as well. Those are, to your point, um, everybody wakes up. Well, I don't think people wake up 
they wake up well-intentioned. They wake up saying, I want to do the best for my spouse and yet can still miss each other on these love languages. There's a whole book on it, right? There's an entire thing on it. But I do subscribe to at least understanding and hearing where Sarah needs to get her tank filled, whether that's time alone, quality time, whatever that is, and vice versa. That's a hard trait to learn early on in your career, early on with a family. You're just trying to do the best in a murky world. In a sleepy world. So we call them 24-hour shifts. But really, the night before, you're like doing meal prep, Mm -hmm. you're getting your stuff together, mental prep, Mm -hmm. need to go to bed early, right? And then the shift the day after when you come home, it's nobody knows. Either they're going to be tired or you got rest. We don't know. Well, even if I did get rest, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but like sleep on shift is not the same as sleep at home because you're for me, I'm always waiting for the tones. Mm-hmm. I can never fully relax. Even if we sleep all night, I still am exhausted by the end of that first day off. It's like trying to sleep before you have an early flight the next day. Like you're always exactly. sort of waiting yes. for something or what if I oversleep or what if I miss the call mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. I can totally... That That's would, a good analogy. That is a yeah. great analogy yeah. for spouses out there. Like that early morning flight and you have to get up. So you're checking to see the alarm every time. Did I miss something? That's what it is. Every 24 hour shift, even if you don't go on a call. Mm -hmm. For me, if there's even like the slightest hint where like I might need to go to the bathroom, I'm like, no, got to get up and go. Or if you're even just a little bit hungry, I'm like, no, I need to eat something. Because if I don't eat, Ginger can tell you, things deteriorate rapidly. I always have snacks with me on the ambulance, like always. So I really have to pay attention to those small things in a way that I don't have to when I'm at at home because you just never know what's going to happen next. Have you ever been to his base? I have. Yeah. A number of times, which was actually kind of cool. And I've spent quite a bit of time trying to learn the people that he worked with too, because they're so important to him that, you know, he refers to them, not as friends, he refers to them as his family. And so to me, that was something that I had to, okay, well, I need to invest in these people then if it's your family. Um, That's different. I've, trying to learn his friends too. But I would go there just to kind of see how they interacted with each other and just to say hello. I I didn't go often, but a handful of times. So I've been to Cassie's station inside. I've only been in once and it's because of COVID. They weren't letting people in. Mm -hmm. We'd sit outside and talk because she couldn't come into the station. But it was so neat to see the physical space where she is, where she sleeps upstairs <laughs> yeah in my mind her, her bedroom was always upstairs and there, it's not upstairs it's a running joke where she's like oh or i'm like well let me go to my room i've got to go upstairs it does actually have two two layers but it's just not the setup and so it was really fun to get to actually finally show ginger inside the station and to kind of have that visual to it go with true. it it's nice to be able to picture where he would be like when he does call at night or something being able to kind of place him in his room having seen it i think mm-hmm. that that probably is helpful have you ever been on the helicopter? I have not. I mean, I've sat in it. I've never been in it when it was in the air. Yeah. You know when you push all the buttons, go. I'm like, no, it's not that type of helicopter. Yeah. No. So never on it during a call or anything, but I sat in it and the plane. Oh, you do fixed wing too? I did. Yep. Once again, when she uses terms, you're a paramedic instructor. So almost all the terms that you use, you get. And I'll say, hey, do you need ibuprofen? And Sarah's like, what is that? And I'm like, <laughs> Advil. Everybody knows that. And she's like, what? And this is like Sarah. Wait, she- wait, wait. You should at least pick one that other people might not know. I did know ibuprofen. <laughs> What's the other one? Every woman knows Those ibuprofen. Know. <laughs> but that's, the rest of the ones you mentioned, no, I don't know. Yes, and so <laughs> that language and that barrier of like working through all those things to explain. So in her mind, she's like, I don't actually think like, it seems like EMTs do a lot. And it seems like every time you tell me the story, the person's sleeping in the helicopter. I'm like, that's because of my great skills of airway management and drugs and all these things. And she's like, yeah, it just seems like you guys tell dad jokes all the way to while you're in the air. But it's the truth because they're critical patients. And so it's vent and all these things, but they are sedated or intubated all the way through. And she's like, I just envisioned you doing more. 
So it's been great to hear those stories. That is true. And I used to tease Chris to be like, you know, we've been together for a long time, but I don't know if you actually practice medicine. Like, I hear you talk about it all the time, but like, our dog, you know, is not doing well and you don't jump into action. And he's like, well, I'm not a vet. <laughs> I'm mean, like, well, just seems like the same medical things could apply right now. Or if something happened with the kids, he'd be so calm and slow to respond, which is probably a really great trait mm-hmm. in a medic. But in my head, I'm like, do something so that I don't have to do something. You know, you're not responding quick enough here. Do you actually know how to practice medicine or not? You know, if somebody says that enough times to you, you start to believe it. Like, wait, have I ever practiced medicine? (laughs) Like, do I start IVs? Actually, I don't even know when I start an IV because they're all, do I even know drug dosages? I don't even know if I practice. Good point. Like you start to question because she's never seen you know, I had all this career where I had partners and we were always talking. They were working together. They knew each other. And then in that moment in my life, the last decade around you, you we don't bring visitors on to fly with us. She has no understanding of me going to paramedic school or any of those things. I just was a flight paramedic. And so in her land, she's like, I don't even know if what you do is actually true. <laughs> well, it's sort of in that line. I think it's also difficult for me to actually picture the severity of the trauma of what you guys see. I can like intellectually be like, oh, gosh, what if I drove over this hill and there was a car crash? Like try to picture what that would be like, you know, and and I could probably get close. But it's hard, like it's it's an intellectual. And so trying to figure out how to be a supportive spouse when I don't have anything really to even equate it to. I don't have anything nearly that traumatic in my life to try to offer the depth of support that's maybe needed. Because I'm not going to lie, like, medicine is not my favorite thing to learn about. <laughs> uh, I try to engage, but it's like I'm not wired for it. I was, I, It is not a career I should ever be in. And so, like, I try to kind of listen to the stories, and I know that probably I could do better at that and be more supportive, especially when it's traumatic, but when it's not an interest of mine and I don't have anything in my own life to equate it to, it's kind of hard to really be as supportive as I should be. I think there's pros and cons to both. And people talk about this in EMS of, is it is it good or bad to be partnered with another paramedic, somebody in the medical field? Because you're saying, you know, I don't, I can't be as supportive, but sometimes I'm not as supportive because I get so interested in the case academically that I'll just start like rapid firing, asking her questions. Well, what was the D stick? What was this? What was, and that's not supportive, right? That's just my own, that's just my own curiosity, but it has nothing to do with her need to process whatever. Um, so there, I think there's pros and cons to both. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Good job. You just saved our marriage. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I really agree with what you say, where it's it's really a double-edged sword. In some ways, it's nice because I don't need to give a lot of buildup or detail on certain things. I can be like, oh, well, we had this D-stick, and then this happened, and then that. And, you know, she's right there with me. But there's also that kind of, in some ways, downside where, you know, for example, if we were at a, a scene for a really long time, or maybe I'd text and said, oh, yeah, we're staging. And then, you know, so she knew we were staging because there was some kind of safety something. And then we might be on scene for a really long time just because it's a complex call of, you know, talking, you know, more so the talking side of things or whatever. But um, and so I know sometimes you sent me a text being like, so I've just told myself a whole story. Can you just check in real quick and be like, I'm fine. And we'll talk more a little bit later. But so that side of really knowing in a having been their way, the stuff that I see and do and get involved in sometimes, it can be really hard, I think. And we've talked. Yeah. Yeah, The phone call or the things that go unanswered just because their phone's dead Mm -hmm. or because it's there or they're busy, but you you can start to spin out of control because Mm -hmm. you get nervous for sure. Well, maybe I can ask the three of you a question since you're all have been or are medics. Uh, Is it hard to make, you know, when you have like a rough shift, to make the transfer when you get home to like, you know, because I think about Chris might come home and sometimes he's quiet and I'll be like, hey, do you want to know what happened with the kids last night? Or, you know, your son did this or your daughter did that or they need this. And probably maybe there's just some space and time needed to make the transition from one thing to the other. Uh, is that a difficult period of time or what does that look like? Or how could I be better, I guess? I think part of it is it's, 
pretty individual, but this is one of the things that Ginger was so amazing with. And I think she almost recognized it before because I lived by myself and hadn't had a roommate or anything like that. So like when I go home from shift, I have kind of a whole thing of like taking care of, you know, my cats at the time and, you know, uniforms and getting things cleaned up and taking a shower and kind of a whole system that I would go through. And when we started seeing each other, I would, you know, want to call and she'd be like, you don't sound like yourself. Take a little bit of time for you. And then, you know, then let's talk because I would like get home and start rushing and doing all this stuff. And she's like, you sound like anxious and spun up, spun up. And she's like, just, you know, and so at first that was a little bit of hard feedback for me to hear because I was like, am I doing something wrong? She was really the one that recognized, like, I needed that transition time to, um, have that time to kind of get from that work brain mode of having to be on alert in a different way to, and so that, that I did really have a system when I came home and some things that doing it made a lot of sense. And it was also a little bit ironic because I was on peer support for a long time and I helped start the, the team. I was one of the original members for our department. And that's one of the things that we talk about and like really being like, hey, you know, let people know, you know, don't have that conversation the second they get home from work. Take, you know, give them some time to decompress and transition. I'd given other people that advice and heard it for years, but didn't internalize it because I hadn't, I already had that built in. And so it was, it was a big difference. And so I think really recognizing, you know, some people it might be, they've got that drive home. And so rather than talking on the phone, that drive home is enough transition time. And other people might really need that, you know, go home, shower, maybe even take a little bit of a nap, something like that. So I think it's really individual, but I do think that just having that conversation together is really important to me. And, you know, like I said, I didn't realize that I needed that. It's actually fairly easy now for me to be able to do that. But I, I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about Chris's ex, Mitzi, and like two kids in diapers. I could see how you'd be dying for your spouse to come home to get a, your own break um, and how it would be really tempting to just be like, now it's your turn uh, without giving too much thought to what maybe needs to be processed on the spouse's side who just is coming off shift. It's not really always just processing big heavy things no it's like this hyper vigilant Mm -hmm. state that you have to be on for your own personal safety and then when you come home just getting out of that hyper vigilant state where you're just hyper aware of everything well there'll still be those times like there's certain tones that like a something will because we still carry pagers that'll you'll see that in a movie or something go off and it immediately like kicks me and ginger will be like oh i could feel your heart rate go up And so there's little things like that that you don't even notice. Like we used to have dot matrix printers and still I'll hear, you know, at a like Best Buy or some other place, a printer start that has that same thing. I haven't heard that at work in 16 years and I still immediately am like back to that. You need to spend more time in airports. They're the only ones that still use them. (laughs) Is that the manifest being printed on a uh, no, yeah, and then when phones came out, there was only like three different sounds of a yeah. phone. So even if you weren't on a pager, you could be at the mall. So mm-hmm. the mall was this place for those that are younger. <laughs> mall was this place that had all these stores in it before the Amazon, and you would have this ringtone go off by somebody, and you're like thinking that it's a call because they all had these like five sounds that you could make. You said, you know, my iWatch, my phone. They're all on silent now, but when that one guy with his phone on his belt goes off in the airport and you hear it even though it was 20 years ago or 15 years ago or 10 years ago it still triggers those sounds trigger a call or oh i'm getting we're getting alerted paged yeah i don't know if i could do that like that going back and forth into adrenaline and out of adrenaline and uh, that would be hard <laughs> i would think you know like I, I can't think of a thing i'm sure there are sounds that if i heard them would make me respond in some way <laughs> Uh, like this table Uh, (laughs) but like to just have a sound that you would hear frequently create such a physical reaction repeatedly that would be exhausting i would think can we can i ask a question Mm -hmm. we are in the chaos industry right they're making order out of chaos and it turns out that as we've worked alongside of others in business um, that are have a history of being firefighters, law enforcement, paramedics. They do best 
when there's a state of chaos. And so when they're building systems and building their companies together, once it's going great, they actually manifest chaos. And so their company's always in this, it's almost like you've been around for five years, 10 years, and it's still like a startup mentality. They're running around, there's chaos. In business, we've seen that as a common theme for um, business owners that come from the public safety world. And I'm wondering if that same level of I work better under chaos or when I'm fixing something also happens in our personal life. I don't like chaos. I'm a pretty chill person, but that's not the norm of the type A personality always creating chaos or feeling like they can do better or they're better when there's always a manifest of chaos. So I could see how that would be challenging in relationships as well. I think listeners will probably relate to that, um, but that has not been experience for us. We cherish the calm for sure. <laughs> I always remember when I first got hired, the organization that I work with, we they had you do these personality tests and stuff. And I was the only per like everybody in my group was all over in this whole area. And I was over here and they're like, of course you are. <laughs> you know, of course, you know, in a lot of ways, that's been something with Ginger and I, that was one of the many things that really connected us was just mm-hmm. kind of that like centered, grounded, not thriving on all the surrounding chaos. We really, I think, thrive in those quiet moments. Mm-hmm. For us, one of my favorite things to do when I get home from shift is we just curl up on the bed together and just kind of lay there and we don't even have to talk, but it's just like a quiet reset. And it, that's when I'm like, okay, I'm off shift. I'm, I can relax. I don't like the chaos and I, I don't enjoy that. And I'm not a loud person. I'm pretty introverted also. And so I really appreciate coming home to the quiet mm-hmm. life that we've built and the serenity really. Yeah. And I think it's the listeners out there who are struggling in their relationships or they have this dream of finding that one partner. A lot of these things we're talking about are self-awareness, digging in, finding out who you are and being aware. And I do think that thriving in chaos or really what is could be considered a badge of honor or a hallmark is also tough in relationships and to be thinking through, all right, am I doing that? Be honest vulnerable, like thinking through those thoughts of thriving in chaos. You know, we're the same. We always want to be like, you know, take a deep breath slow. But that's not, like you said, that group, it wasn't 50-50 or it wasn't like you you were in the group of them. You were outside of that. So there's a lot of people out there that thrive in chaos and they're really good at it. It doesn't mean it's always the best interpersonal relationship world to be in. Right. And it's probably not good for their health either i wouldn't imagine to kind of put yourself into that state repeatedly just because you're good at it mm-hmm. it takes a toll in some way i would imagine on your health whether it's i don't know I'm lack not of sure they know they just are most comfortable right. in that situation so that's a challenge yeah, yeah. subconscious mm-hmm. when you get home you didn't really comment on what it's like when you get home does sarah do anything right or wrong that <laughs> you can think of she does everything right (laughs) um is she there or sometimes she out out and about doing stuff one of the best qualities of sarah is that she meets people where they're at uh if you hang out with anybody that knows sarah they say she's my best friend i'm like why does everybody think you're their best friend. You know, she goes to the coffee shop and when people are like, oh, so we had coffee and she saved my life and gave me all these words of wisdom. I'm like, okay, so what is this words of wisdom that you keep giving everybody? And now I'm like leaning in. So those who uh, uh, can't see us, I'm like leaning into this conversation as if we're in a coffee shop. I'm like, what are these words? And she's like, I just ask them what they think. <laughs> They already know the answers and either they're in their head and they're building their own narrative to fill that, or they don't want to answer the question. So I'm just saying, what do you think you should do? What feels right for you? And when you say things out loud, you know what the right answer is, but she's one of the few of her friends that can just ask those honest questions or just hold them accountable by saying, but what would you do? What do you think is right? And people know the answer. And so her ability to look through the lens of others is a great gift. And there are times where 
she may be wanting to be quiet, but I come in with a lot of words because I'm amped up with a call. I want to talk about this, and she lets me do that. There are other times she can read where I'm also, like I said, the quintessential July birthday cancer where I have this big shell, and so when I get my feelings hurt, I get clammed up, and she's like, all right, so I'm just going to give him time. you know. And so she's really good at meeting me where I'm at um, yeah, and then working through that. Yeah. You just you just read it and kind of know what he needs. Well, and then when you were doing shift work, I want to say your shift ended at like six in the morning, so you would come home. But I was barely awake when you would get home, so it would be hard to do something right or wrong. Maybe I needed to wake up. Maybe that was the wrong thing and be more interactive. But I would say it was mostly just quiet. And then when the kids were there, it was he comes home just in time to help you know get him ready to go to school and check homework and all that and take them to school so there wasn't a lot of time to interact really in those situations like there might be now if you were to go back to it it would be a completely different because he was only on shift when the kids were living at home I don't know what it would be like now people pay me as an extrovert but I'm always ever since in my life I was either on the introvert or maybe through just working on it 50 50 and so I actually spent a lot of time in my head before I say things and Sarah likes quiet. <laughs> so between those two, it's actually pretty great in the morning because I tend to be quiet, want coffee, just like decompress. And it's the drive home. And it's also just like, it's quiet. And our shifts were uh, at that time, six in the morning. So you came on at six, you left really early. And then you got home at 6.30 or seven. But still, people are just starting to get up. So by the time words were happening, I had walked out of that. Is there anything I need to do better when you no, I right. I'm great, right? You <laughs> so are. No, I mean, I think you really helped me to articulate a little bit what it was that I needed because I had just always had it and hadn't actually had to ask for it or really even put it into words. And you're a words person, and so you know, through a lot of that talking about it and asking me questions, you know, you really helped me to be able to articulate sometimes, you know, what it was that I needed. I think it's pretty great. You guys are dual clinicians and there's a lot of partners out there, significant others that are dual clinicians. And how do you meet them where they're at? So sometimes it's, what would you do in this case? And it's this cerebral arm wrestling of best medicine. We call it practicing medicine for a reason, getting a second opinion. And there's other times where you're like, I don't actually need you to dissect the call. I just need you to hear where I'm at. What advice do you have for listeners? So I always start with the second one you just said. I always just assume she's telling me her calls because she just wants to download them. In fact, the first time she started doing this, I was like, why is she telling me about all her calls? Like, what are we doing right now? So I just listened and didn't give any thoughts. You unless always, you ask. Yeah, you always let me either ask for feedback or if you had, you know, maybe a little something you might have noticed, you might kind of um, offer that. And I remember again, kind of going back to just that communication standpoint. For me, processing calls, the more I talk about it, it moves it from that immediate forefront to a part where I don't visualize it and I'm not in that call anymore. I will do that with anybody who will listen from, you know, Ginger is my partner to my work partner um, to the people that I do crew change with. This was actually a conversation we had not that long ago about, you know, she was like, well, how do you, I can't remember exactly what you asked, but basically it was along the lines of, how are you processing things and making sure that like stuff isn't building up? Cause last summer with COVID and just a few other things, like my partner was out on maternity leave. So I was getting lots of different floaters. And so I, my feeling of control was not there at work and there were so few things. And so I just, I got to a point where I needed to take a, a mental health break for a couple of weeks. That talking about those calls is a really big part of it for me. And so for a little bit, I had a work partner that did not like to talk about calls afterwards. And that was really hard because it was like, well, you were there with me and either you might have some feedback if I wanted to ask for that or even just to like talk about it. That was something that I feel like I'm really lucky I realized early on was that processing part. You know, in a lot of ways, it's great because I don't have to get super into details. I can, you know, do a little bit more broad strokes. Or if I do want to get really into those minutiae, I feel really safe doing that with you because you may not have had that exact call, but you've had something similar. Or if I'm talking, you know, being really vulnerable about something where I'm really afraid that I made a mistake or that I caused a bad outcome, I feel 
completely safe talking about that with you because you can have that understanding in a different way. Yeah. I don't, thank you. I don't, I don't think I go to those conversations trying to get any of my needs met. So I just, I'm only thinking like, what is she wanting for me right now? That that's powerful, right? I mean, Sarah's like, amen. That's super powerful, especially in our world that we're fix it. We're fixing it. We're trying to fix when somebody's trying to explain to it. They're just processing what they want you to do is hear. If you're coming from a perspective of, well, they want somebody to hear first and then fix if they ask for fixing, that's a lot. Like, If anybody's listening out there, put that on your visor. Put a <laughs> sticky note on your mirror. It'll help your relationship. <laughs> Should we wind it down? Yeah. It's great. it's great. I know. I'm already actually, I was already thinking in my mind as you guys are talking, like, do we get a second date? Yeah. A second double date? Yeah. It would be great. If you'll have us. Yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it in Montana. That'd be awesome. We couldn't, we would love that. All right. Sarah, thank you. Yes. Thanks for inviting me. Cassie, thank you. You are so welcome. All right. Say bye. See you guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. This episode of Medic Mindset is supported by iSimulate. From the very beginnings of this podcast, I've been committed to keeping Medic Mindset always and forever free. Their support allows me to do that. Thank you, I simulate.